especially in these United States, uh, we have a very important role to play. And elections are coming up in November, so now's a good time to speak on it and to speak on the principles of what makes a good citizen in this country, what makes a good biblical Christian citizen in this country. And so I want to share that with you this morning. As I said, many pulpits from around the uh, country are sharing this message, and I want to bring that to you. So this morning I start with this. On July 4th, 1776 in Philadelphia, our founding fathers signed a document declaring our independence from the British Empire. This document, the Declaration of Independence, was uh, made as a declaration to all nations in the earth, stating the principles of these United States. What many Americans don't realize is that with the same document, that they not only declared their independence from Great Britain, but the American colonies strongly declared their dependence on God with that document. And that's essential in a founding document. They, in fact, called God to be a witness and the nations to be a witness that these United States were dependent on God. And so there are four times and four references in the Declaration of Independence that refer to God. Uh, Using Blackwell's uh, uh, statement, laws of nature and nature's God and endowed by their creator and the supreme judge of the world, last of all, reliance upon divine providence. And of course, divine providence is the will of a personal God who declares and watches over human history. And so they understood that they were depending on God to make this nation great. And so it says at the end of the Declaration of Independence, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. You know what the word reliance means? It means complete dependence. So as a document of independence from Great Britain, it is a document of dependence on God. And that's very, very important. Our uh, forefathers did not believe in the separation of God from government. They believed that this nation was founded by God, protected by God, and need to be preserved by God, and most of all, blessed by God. And blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, writes the psalmist. And we've declared Jehovah God as the Lord over this country. And so, they believed that it all depends on God. And based on that belief, they were willing to pledge their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to God. They put it all on the line. Of the 56 men who signed the Declaration of Independence, they gave everything they had. Let me just list what happened to most of these 56 men who signed this declaration. Nine of them died of wounds or hardships during the war. Five were captured and imprisoned and in each case subjected to torture. They lost their wives, their children, or entire families. One man lost 13 children. Um, Two of the wives of the signers were brutalized by the British. All were at one time or another victims of manhunts and driven from their homes. Twelve signers had their homes completely burned. Seventeen lost everything they owned. Indeed, these men had not only pledged their lives, but their fortunes and everything they had for the sacred honor 
of the independence from Britain, but the dependence on God. They gave everything they had. And throughout the, the centuries and the years of this great nation, many men and women have given their lives for the belief of this declaration. It was a model for all nations. And though it hasn't been uh, perfected, it hasn't come to its fullest intent yet, we can make that happen by how we pursue our citizenship. If they sacrificed this greatly, what are we doing as an act of sacrifice for our dependence on God? One of the greatest enemies of this nation is the apathy of righteous people. It's the saddest situation. So this morning, we come to the question, what should we do as Christian citizens of this nation? The Bible gives us some clear direction, and we're going to look at that. What do we need to do as citizens? Let's look to the Word of God, and politics and religion has always been something of interest to people. And if you'll remember in Matthew 22, verse 15 through 21, the, the, the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, came to Jesus, and it says that they wanted to trap Jesus in an issue. The issue would be the, the, the uh, separation between Caesar and Judaism, religion and politics. And so they asked Jesus what they should do with their taxes and who they should render their taxes to. Now, Jesus had a great reply. I love what Jesus said. Concerning government and taxes, he said this, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give to God what is God's. We are stewards of our own liberty. We are stewards of the freedom in this nation. We are stewards of our own economics and stewards of our faith and religion. Are we good stewards of that in totality? We can emphasize our stewardship of our faith and religion, but we have a responsibility to be salt and light to the nation we live in. And so we're responsible to be good Christian stewards of the politics of this nation as well. And so we have to do something about that. And so we must remember that we are to give unto Caesar what is Caesar's, but give unto God what is God's. Abraham Lincoln put it this way. This is a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. Therefore, what the people say matters. I must say that the Christians have not spoken up enough. We've not said too much in the direction and in the way this country's going. And that's a sad situation because it will be shaped by the people. And so it's a matter of who's going to shape this nation. Do you believe that the founding fathers had a principle of faith that would guide this country into greatness? I think history proves that to be true. But I believe this country is quickly falling apart because of a lack of faith in the Bible and in what the founding fathers sought for this government. Now, what can every Christian do? There are five things every Christian can do to have a maximum biblical impact on this nation. I'm going to go through them quickly. The first action step we need to take for our government is, guess what? 
thank you, (laughs) is to pray. It's to pray. We must pray for our leaders. It is a biblical mandate that we would pray for our president, pray for all of our leaders. Paul said this in 1 Timothy, I urge you, I urge you then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority. You must understand something in the spirit realm. The the rankings of authority are essential in our life and in the spiritual realm. Authority is established by God. Satan is a God of disorder and disunity. Unity and accord is brought by God, which means you respect authority and submit to authorities. And therefore, God has established authorities over all our lives. It begins at home with your parents. To, uh, we're to honor them. We're to honor their authority and discipline. And immediately in our lives, we are to submit to the authorities and the governing authorities over our lives. And he says that if we would do this, we would live peaceable and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of truth. He's saying that if we would uphold the authority structures, holding them to a righteous standard, praying for them, interceding that the Spirit of God would move upon them, our lives would be peaceable and that peace would bring salvation to the people that we're praying for. That's essential. That's essential. Secondly, you know this verse in 2 Chronicles. It's the responsibility of the church to bring revival to the nation. There's no other group that's going to bring revival to America. The only thing at this point, in my opinion, that will save the United States is revival. is a move of God by His Spirit, sovereignly over the citizens of the United States. Now this is the history and the heritage of America. We are a revivalist nation. There have been many great revivals that have turned the course of this nation and brought this nation into a place of, if you will, superiority among other nations, but because a dependence on a sovereign God and a revivalist heart in this nation. And so who else is going to bring revival but those who have the favor of God. And so 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people, my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. The problem is, brothers and sisters, the church is not repentant, but indulging in the same sins that our nation's indulging in. The the realm of prosperity has polluted us, if you will. We've failed the test. And the test was the blessings. How about that? And so we enjoy all the carnal attributes that blessings have brought this nation. Instead of repenting and living a righteous life, we must seek the face of God, turn from our wicked ways, so that this nation will as well turn. Someone's got to lead the way. That would be the church, brothers and sisters. Now, 
Secondly, this nation doesn't need all of uh, the authority coming from the White House. It needs to come from God's house. That's the church. That's the church. We must pray and humble ourselves before God. Now, the second thing we need to do as an action step out of the five is to support your government. Look at that. Pay taxes. Ooh. What did Jesus say? Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Now, a little further, we'll see that we can petition the government. But at the same time, we are to live quiet and peaceable lives. We are not to move in the same spirit as an anarchy spirit. We're not to move in the same spirit of those who would rebel and cause evil or fighting. We're to walk in a, in a spirit of the Lord and in righteousness at all times. And so, why do we pay taxes? So that roads and schools and libraries and law enforcement and military defense and parks can be upheld in this nation. So we need to take care of that. We need to take pride in our country and in our nation and care and uh, support this nation. Jesus said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And you'll remember when they had to pay taxes, Jesus told Peter, go down to the sea, catch a fish, and in that fish's mouth, you'll find the sufficiency of the taxes you're going to need. And so God is going to support the church. God is going to uphold the church if we will uphold our position. So Paul also says this, this is why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. And so we support those people. We support them first in prayer and secondly financially so that this government can run and it will not have a tyranny but we will have the form of government established by our forefathers. Now, what's the third action step? What are we to do? We are to submit to our government. Again, we are not to walk in rebellion. God doesn't honor rebellion. We are to walk when, uh, according to the standards of Scripture. Now, government exists so that there would be order. And we're to follow that order. And Christians are citizens, and we're to be model citizens. Peter says this, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. There it is again, the ranking in spiritual order. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. It's pretty self-explanatory. Because again, Christians are to submit themselves to the condition they're in in righteousness and humility, and in due season God will raise them up because of their testimony. Whether to the king who is the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Peter also goes on to say, show proper respect to everyone, love the brotherhood of believers, fear God, honor the king. Yeah, but I don't like the king. Who do you think he was talking about? At that time, when Peter was writing this of giving honor to the king and submitting to his authority, who was he talking about? Nero, the man who persecuted Christians. But they didn't pick up arms to rebel. They submitted humbly, and they lived righteous lives. And in time and in due season, 
Christianity flourished over all the nations. Now, we are to have respect for those who are in authority, and we're to care. Now, let's go on. The fourth step, we're to stand up to your government. That's an important part of this nation's democracy as a republic. We are a republic. We have elected officials. And if we would do our diligence and we would pray for those officials, we would interact with those officials, we would write them, talk to them, call them, they would know the Christian influence. But what's happening is the church is silent and not showing up. And so those with the loudest voice get heard by our elected officials, and so our elected officials will go to the loudest voice because they want to be reelected. Does that make sense? But there is, the, in fact, when we say we're to submit to our government, we are, but we are also to stand up to our government. The government may command things that God condemns, and if that's the case, then we are obliged to speak out against it and, in fact, move in civil disobedience to the government's commands that are contrary to God's commands. Now, civil disobedience, brothers and sisters, is a peaceable means by which we resist and fight against ungodly rulings. And so we can have some examples in Scripture where we see civil disobedience. How many of you remember in Egypt that the Jewish midwives held the children against and away from Pharaoh as he was trying to kill them. In fact, Moses petitioned Pharaoh to let his people go. Nathan confronted King David over his sin. Elijah came and faced off against King Ahab and fought against him. The prophet Isaiah condemned moral decay in the culture. In fact, every prophet stood up against the government of Israel when it was wrong. The church is the prophet in the land. The prophet must speak. Amos spoke against injustice. Daniel pointed out the pride of Nebuchadnezzar. And John the Baptist called out King Herod. And so we are to be a people of salt and light. And if we are not speaking out against injustice, against what is wrong according to God's law, we will not be heard and those laws will not be changed. We cannot stop. We must continue. We must. Now, if you're looking for a positive response from people, come on. We're trying to bring a Judeo-Christian ethic on an unsaved population. We believe it will benefit them with peaceable and godly lives, though they may not and have the free right not to choose to believe in a Judeo-Christian ethic. They don't have to. But we believe that a Judeo-Christian ethic, according to our forefathers, will bring a great nation together. So the question is this. Do you believe a Judeo-Christian ethic should lead even the lost and a secular nation? Or reverse, should the secular nation lead and dictate what Christians should follow and believe? We would believe that you have the right to believe whatever you want and worship in any manner you want, but we're bringing to the table a system of government and a belief system that will in fact prosper and bless the nation. We'd love for you to consider these things and understand them. History proves that to be right.
Now, here's a very, very vital statement. We need to use our freedom to defend our freedom, or we will lose our freedom. I'm going to say that again so that you can write that down. We need to use our freedom to defend our freedom, or we will lose our freedom. And that brings the fifth point as Christians that we are to do. We are to select our government. That's why this great republic works and should continue to work is because we select who leads. And therefore, how do we select? By voting. We must vote. When we vote, we determine who's going to lead our nation, who's going to make our laws and protect our freedoms. Samuel Adams said this, Let each citizen remember at the moment he is offering his vote that he is executing one of the most solemn trusts in human society for which he is accountable to God and his country. Do you consider that when you vote? That you are standing before God and the way that this country is going to go. We must register. Let me give you some statistics. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, as many as 25 to 35 percent of the voting age population are not even registered to vote. That translates to about 45 to 65 million Americans do not vote. Who should vote? They should vote. I wonder what condition the country would be in if everybody took it seriously. But most people feel, what does it matter? My vote doesn't count. Oh, it does. Here's the worst part of this scenario. Less than half of those registered actually do vote. So if 35% of the voting population are not registered... That's 45 to 65 million citizens not registered. Half of the remaining number don't even vote, though they're registered to vote. Who's running this country? Who's voting in the delegates? Now, look at some statistics. In 2000, a little, a little over half of eligible Americans voted. In 2002, 39% of eligible Americans voted. In 2004, 60% voted. But in 2006, 40% voted. It's a small number. Now, it gets worse. Of evangelical Christians estimated at 60 million, only 25% voted in the year 2000. In 2004, half of them, 50% voted. In 2006, 33% voted. Where's the church? Where is this church in trying to lead this country in godliness? Now look at, I know some of you might feel a little bit held back and shy to witness for the Lord Jesus Christ, but how out there do you have to be to put a check in a box? We, we won't even go to the polls because we've got so many other things to do. But that day of voting is going to depend on what you do every day afterwards. This is really simple. It's not rocket science. When it comes time to vote, vote. God help us. Bad politicians are elected by good people who
who don't vote. We get the leaders we deserve. Now listen. It says in uh, Exodus, Select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials. The entire system of the United States and its three branches of government is completely designed from Scripture. Our governmental system has been designed by Scripture, but Christians have not upheld the design, and therefore it's collapsing. Because most people don't even know the design. Now, we can do this. We can vote, and we need to do something about this. How are we supposed to vote? We're supposed to vote, brothers and sisters, on our values. I forgot to move these ahead. Here, we'll go there. Every candidate has values. So don't you think it's important to find out what they are and see how they match up with your values, your beliefs, and your convictions? John Jay, a founding father, said this, Providence has given to our people the choice of their rulers, and it is the duty as well as the privilege and interest of our Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their rulers. He was the first chief justice of the United States. He had no problem declaring religious and government together. And that our faith can, in fact, activate and maintain a healthy, healthy government. Many uh, Christians do not consider their values when they vote. They often choose candidates whose positions, in fact, are at odds with a biblical uh, consideration. A recent study of the Pew Forum on Religion and Public Life shows that nearly two-thirds of Americans say their faith has little to do with their voting decision. Two-thirds. Now, what are we going to do about this? Let's consider just three values that we as believers must uphold when we consider our candidates. All right? Jesus said our faith should encompass every part of life. Number one, life. We support life. Life is made in God's image. It is fundamental. It is a God-given right. According to the Declaration of Independence, Independence, it says, all men are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Therefore, human life should be protected and defended. Statistics are this. There are 1.3 million abortions per year. 25% of all pregnancies end in abortion. 25%. We need to find out where the candidates stand on the issue of life. We need to see what God is saying to us and uphold the Constitution. They say it's a woman's right, but what about the right of the human life of that child? 
And we need to stand for life. We must protect the most innocent of lives to be a great society. And we must cherish life. We need to find out where the candidates stand. Ask where they stand in their position on abortion, embryo-destructive stem cell experimentation. Look, at there's a lot of bad information going out there according, uh, concerning stem cell research and embryo stem cell research. There's more success in adult stem cell research than human embryo, but yet the agenda is for human embryo. Uh, we have to look at the uh, ethics of cloning and euthanasia. We need to consider these things. Secondly, did you know that each day in the United States more babies are aborted than those who died in the 9-11 attacks? More than a, one million children in America are, are uh, killed through abortion. 25% of pregnancies end in abortion. Nearly 50 million children have been aborted. Secondly, family values. The value of the family. God created man and woman. The gay agenda is extremely well-informed, well-funded, well-equipped, and very, very uh, forceful and popular in its agenda. Now, concerning family values and marriage, most of all, the family is the essential building block of society. And as goes the family, so goes the nation. God declared from the beginning, He made them male and female. And a man shall leave his mother and father and cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. The homosexual agenda threatens to redefine and destroy marriage. We must speak up on it. Those of you who are being baptized, I dismiss you now to get prepared. You can wait about 10 minutes, gentlemen, before you get the children. You can be dismissed to go in preparation for baptism. Now, we are to love all people. We are not to do harm to anyone else. And we are to care and love all people with the love of Christ. And we're to love the lost. But the agenda must be spoken out against. If you redefine marriage to be able to be between same sex, at what point then can marriage be redefined over and over again? Polygamy can be introduced. Then you have the situation of incest marriage. Then you have the situation of age differences. If there's no governing authority, such as Scripture, over the institution of marriage, then why can't a 40-year-old marry a 10-year-old? Why can't these things begin to happen if you dismantle the authority on marriage, which is Scripture and nature? And so we've really, really got to be careful. Listen to these statistics. Families consisting of a husband and wife in their first marriage with children dropped 25% of all homes. Households with unmarried partners grew by 72%. In fact, cohabitation has increased uh, by 1,000% over the last generation. Nobody's getting married anymore. A third of all babies are born to unmarried women, 33% compared to only 3.8% in 1940. 
The number of same-sex homes has skyrocketed 400%. Now, Christians need to stand and hold to the value of marriage. If not, then the institution of marriage is going to be redefined, and from there, it's going to affect every other law. It's going to wreak havoc on our civilization and the well-being of our children. Thirdly, we must watch our freedom. The value of religious freedom. Congress shall not make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Freedom must be nurtured, defended, and protected. It's the original intent of this Declaration of Independence. The Supreme Court has ignored the original intent of the Founding Fathers and has trashed three centuries of America's Judeo-Christian heritage. There is a myth that says there is a separation of church and state. People say it's in the Declaration of Independence. They say it's in the Constitution. Nowhere in either of those documents is that statement ever made. It was in a private letter written by Thomas Jefferson to a Baptist church, speaking of the separation of the government staying out of the church's business. But it has been so embedded into the psyche of the American nation, they think that there is to be a separation of faith out of government. And if you would just read the documents through history and the founding fathers, they all felt you could not have a solid government without the exercise of your faith in it. Look at some of these things that have taken place that our U.S. courts have declared unconstitutional. Kindergartners cannot recite God is good, God is great. An elementary student asked uh, for the teacher to answer whose birthday is being celebrated at Christmas. The student couldn't say Jesus Christ. For two middle school students to bring their Bibles to class, which were confiscated, called garbage, and thrown out. Unconstitutional to bring your Bible to school. For an honor guardsman to say, God bless you, this family, and may God bless this country, at a veteran's graveside burial. They also said it's unconstitutional for a, a county government building to have the motto, In God We Trust, displayed on it. Well, you're going to have to go and destroy and deface every one of the monuments in Washington, D.C. That's probably coming. It's probably coming. What's the problem, brothers and sisters, is not the tolerance for all religions. It's the intolerance against Christianity. This is the issue. And I'll tell you why it's going that way. Because the Christians are doing and saying nothing. We love the part of living good, godly and peaceable lives. But we don't want to give the effort to stand up against the tide that's moving in a very powerful and forceful way. Now, the court outlawed public prayer in schools in 1962, outlawed public Bible reading in 1963, and in 1980, the Ten Commandments were taken out of all the schools. And so, what do you do when you eliminate the authority of law 
in our children's lives. We've got schools that teachers fear for their lives to go to, and uh, many of them are pretty scary places because there's no level of authority being taught. Now, conclusion. What is our conclusion? Not that. Again, if we don't use our freedom to defend our freedom, we're going to lose our freedom. George Washington said this in his farewell address. Of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. In vain would that man claim the tribute of patriotism who should labor to subvert these great pillars of human happiness, these firmest props of the duties of men and citizens. Religion and morality are essential in human government. Someone is going to prop up their religion and their morality. Who has the right one? Who has the one that is most understanding to all people, loving and caring for all races, sex, and so forth? That would be the Judeo-Christian ethic, the biblical truth that God has revealed. We believe that with all our hearts. Now, I close with this. After the Founding Fathers unanimously approved the Declaration of Independence, there was a call to celebrate. They had cast a special bell that they put in the tower where they signed the Declaration. They wanted to ring it to call all the people to come forward so that bells would ring and there would be a celebration and food and, and yelling and shouting and uh, great praise to God for this founding document. They rang what's called the Liberty Bell. Most people call it the Liberty Bell because they believe it stood for liberty at the Declaration of Independence. The reason it's called the Liberty Bell, which most people don't know, is based on Leviticus 25, which is engraved on that bell, which says, Proclaim liberty throughout the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. Again, the peal of that bell declaring liberty was a godly liberty based on biblical truth for this nation. Freedom is to ring loud and clear, brothers and sisters. If it is, then we have five duties to perform so that we would have a maximum input and impact. We must pray, and it would be good for us to begin praying now up until the time of election for us to diligently pray for this nation. We must support our government. We are not a tyranny. We are not terrorists. We are not going to work against people's lives and the rights for their freedom. We will work for them and support the government and its documents because all the documents are saturated in biblical truths. We will submit to the ruling authorities over us, but we will also, like prophets, stand up when they are against biblical truths and we will speak the truth of God to them. And last of all, we will select biblical leaders. How? We will vote according to the biblical values we believe in. The value of life, the value of marriage, and religious freedom. This, brothers and sisters, is essential, or it will be locked out of the future of this nation. 
I hope you understand how serious this is. You may not have felt good from this message today and got ministered to, but today it's about your responsibility. It's about us as a people saving the enduring beauty of this nation. Let's bow our heads.